At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Let's get ready to rumble! What is up, Zinger Nation? Happy Friday. We've made it to the end of another trading week. We have a packed show today, as always. Um, joining us right at the beginning is going to be Ben from Story Trading. He's been on the show a few times. Some of you may remember he pitched us AEHR a few weeks ago. Um, the stock has been up about 20% since he pitched it. So great pick from Ben. Um, we're going to bring him in again for another stock pick. So excited to, to get that from him. Um, but real quick before we get started, let me know in the chat what y'all have been watching today, what stocks you guys have been trading. Um, you know, mixed bag today as far as different stocks. You know, so, some are some. Let's check it on the spy real quick because this is the best way to just get an idea of how the market is moving. We're up about up almost a full percent now, and of course we've got Jerome Powell speaking later this afternoon. Um, so a lot of people are interested in to see how the Fed is going to. You know, if they're going to continue to talk about tapering or if they're going to try to um, ease those fears of tapering the rates. Um, but without further ado, once I get the, the universal sign from Ben that he's ready, maybe a little thumbs up. We're going to go ahead and bring Ben on. We're going to we're going to get his new stock pick. It's a surprise. I don't even know it. Um, so I, I'm excited to hear from Ben what it is. And I'll definitely be adding this to my watch list after, again, he pitched AEHR and then SMSI. Um, so without further ado, get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. What's up, producer AB? Ben, how are we doing today? Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. A lot of action this week, a lot going on. I do have that new stock we teased with the digital health stock. But first, we got an update on air. And we also have an update on Virtra, uh, VTSI. I did present that. A little bit, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, I think it was on August 18th, presented uh, Virtra Systems ETSI. So I have two important updates. We'll go through it real quick, and then we will get to uh, the new pick. All right, let's do it. Let's start with the update on AHR, up almost uh, 5.5% today. So so another good day for AHR. We can see this. Uh, these are daily candles, so just a lot of green candles in a row for uh, for AIR. A lot going on. First, our disclaimer, we're not a storage uh, investment advisor and investing in securities involves significant risk of loss. You can head over to our website to sign up for the app. So another update. There's been a lot going on this week. First, on Tuesday, I was on the show then. They had a $3 million EV order, but the news kept flowing. The next day on Wednesday, something that has not gotten a lot of attention but is extremely important, the their customer on semi that produces the semiconductors they bought gt advanced system gtat some of you may know them from uh, uh, from before like a decade ago when they did stuff with apple on sapphire but anyway they got into silicon card pie production and on semi bought this company for 415 million dollars and silicon carbide those are the chips that air is providing the test systems for so this deal is significant not only for momentum of uh, orders that are going to keep coming for silicon carbide but also in terms of the valuation of the company uh, 415 million gtat is now a private company so we don't know exactly how much revenue they have uh, but it doesn't seem like it could be a lot. So this is very important. Spoken to some people in the industry uh, and some colleagues who say this is a huge, huge uh, tailwind for the valuation of air, um, air stock. So that was on Wednesday, and it kept on flowing. The next day, Craig Hallam upgraded air. I don't know if you all saw this. There must have been a Benzing alert on it. Went up from a price target of 5 to $12.00. Uh, I underline the important parts here. AirTest has a substantial revenue growth opportunity in front of the company, driven by the expansion of electric vehicles and the silicon carbide used in them. I, they already have that lead silicon carbide manufacturer, which is on semi, and they are in talks with another leading manufacturer and believe they're in conversations with all of the silicon carbide manufacturers. So I just have to say, when I was on the show the first time, I said this could be a $50 to $100 stock in two to three years. I still believe that. And this news flow is paving the path 
for that 50 to 200 in two to three years if they're not bought out first? Yeah, I mean, definitely interesting stock here. We've we've been watching it. I'm not personally in this yet, but uh, Ben, it's on my watch list. All right, great. Um, Still my largest position. I'm real excited about it. So uh, Vertra VTSI, a quick update. If you guys remember, it was a police and military training stock. This was the chart we presented, the story behind the trade. A couple things I wanted to point out. We talked about that they were bidding for a $24.5 million Department of Defense contract. And then we talked about another uh, military contract beyond that regarding, uh, we think about recoil kits. So, and then there was earnings. So what happened? What happened? Earnings came August 11th. They beat earnings, $0.05 cents, uh, EPS versus a $0.02 cent loss estimate, sales of 5.3 versus a 3.79 estimate. After that, the news kept flowing just yesterday, Wednesday. Wednesday came out. That $24.5 million deal with the Department of Defense, they won that, Okay. Now, if you look here, though, some people point out none of that's been obligated yet. So it's up to $24.5 million. But what happened? Later that same day, we found out that they already got $1.4 million obligated out of this $24.5 million. So these are huge numbers, big numbers for air uh, relative to the market cap. Um, and then the next day, the next day they tweeted about recoil kits with a little video. And this is important. They highlighted service members can use these. So... We had the CEO of Virtra on Story Trading last week. We just released that video to YouTube today, and he talked a little bit about these re- recoil kits. So two big nuggets in a row we think uh, I think is going to be very bullish for this stock. So those are my updates, and when you're ready, I can go into the new stock. Oh, I'm ready, Ben. I've been waiting. <laughs> All right. Great. So uh, we talked about a digital health pick. Uh, this pick I've been in um, since seven dollars. It peaked at thirty-two, and now it's twelve fifty. I'm not going to reveal their name right now because I don't want people jumping and buying it right away. I want them to hear about the story first. Uh, don't want people to get hurt, right? You shouldn't just jump and buy. It. Hear the story and then. So I'll give you all the facts and then you can decide. So um, this has been a high conviction pick for me. I've been very interested in the digital health space uh, since COVID hit. Teladoc was the first stock I bought right when COVID hit at like $100 back in February of 2020. Um, so this is the bellwether in this space. Uh, the stock I'm going to uh, present today is impacted by how Teladoc does. A little bit about the story behind the Teladoc chart. They bought a company named Lavongo, which I'm going to show next. And due to concerns with Lavongo integration, um, the stock has kind of tailed off. So this impacts all the other digital health stocks. Now, let me talk about Lavongo for a second. Teladoc bought Lavongo uh, a few months after the pandemic for 38 times sales. And you can see the chart there, right? So this stock that I'm presenting is in the same sector as Lavongo, very similar business model. And uh, let's look at the valuation. So the Lavongo buyout, August 5th, 2020, Teladoc bought them. He said 38 times sales. Teladoc at the time was 19 times sales. So twice the the valuation of Teladoc. At the time, Lavongo was growing at 125%. And now this stock is forecast to grow 100% in 2022 over 2021. So similar growth profiles. And if you look here is the growth of the revenue, quarterly growth of this company. So they're really booming. This is a combination of acquisitions and organic growth, which is going pretty well over there at the company. Now, one of the biggest reasons I bought this company at $7 was because they did incredible capital raise. Now, ignore this little, uh, this is a data error up here, this uh, sharp uh, bump over here. Um, So there's been like, I think, three capital raises in the last 18 months, but this company has been incredible with them. The first one at around $7 was above market pricing. And at the time, it was like a 25 million market cap and there were no warrants. And it was a huge offering, like the same size of their market cap. So right there, I knew something's going on. There's big money behind this and they're getting institutional support. They don't have to give a discount. They don't have to give warrants. And that trend continues throughout the year. They've been raising big money, doing a couple acquisitions, and every single time the offerings are either at or above market with no warrants. And that's an incredible feat for microcap management to pull off. And it's really, really telling about what institutional investors think about this company. Um, Looking at the valuations, you can see the EV to revenue for this company was close to 50 and it's crashed down to nine. There may be a buying opportunity here. We're going to go into the chart in a second and, and talk about what's going on. So 
Um, look at these uh, valuations of the peers. Teladoc right now, after the pullback, eight point. This is based on 2020 consensus estimates. I have to calculate it myself. You're not going to see the pull up, pull this up easily. So Teladoc at 8.6 times sales on track. Another uh, uh, name in the space, 3.84 times sales. Um, this company, 2.81 times sales. So it's the cheapest of the whole bunch. And Lavongo, remember, was bought out for twice the multiple of Teladoc. If if this company gets that, that's a 16 multiple. You're talking about like a five-time return from here. So ready for the big reveal? Yes, sir. All right. So this stock is ticker symbol D-R-I-O, Dario Health. Last trade, well, now it's 12.85. Uh, I did want to present it earlier this week when it was 11.30. So it's already on the move this week. And there's a reason why it's on the move. So what's the story behind the trade? You can see here, it's really, really pulled back uh, sharply. Um, this peak here, I think, is largely attributed to Teladoc, the bellwether coming down and impacting all the uh, stocks in the digital health space. But more acutely down here, you had like a 50% drop in Dario Health. And I need to pause here and talk a little bit about the company and what they do. So this company started in terms of uh, in digital health monitoring for diabetes. It was a B2C company, meaning business to consumer. They sell devices through Walmart. You connect it to your app. You check your glucose levels. And it's a way to monitor your own chronic health conditions. Subsequent to that, they bought uh, MSK company for musculoskeletal. Upright, it's called. It's a little device you put on your back to make sure your posture is good. After that, they bought Way Forward most recently for mental health, chronic uh, management of mental health. Now, what they're doing, they're dramatically changing their business model to go from B2C, business to consumer, to B2B2C, which is business to business to consumer, which means they're now selling this product to doctors directly, to employers, and they're trying to get into insurance companies. They've had a lot of traction with employers. And the big one, the insurance company, is the story here. So they've been teasing that they would have this big insurer coming on board, which is going to be a path to 100% growth 2022 over 2021. It's been about four quarters, and it's been delayed. And in the most recent quarter, well, Q1, they basically made a promise. They said, we will sign this insurer by the end of Q2, which is June 30th. And it didn't happen and right at June 30th, the stock went down like 50% because they lost a little bit of credibility. What happened? Where's this employer? Now, here's the opportunity. The opportunity is, there we go, down 50%. So, But why now? Why will it inflect? Well, if you were on the conference call, on Q2 earnings, first of all, Q2 earnings was 5.3 million, uh, beating estimates of 5.1 million. But it's all about the insurer. They gave, for the first time, a lot of transparency of what's going on with this insurer, which made me feel really comfortable that it's still happening. Take note of the underlined uh, passages here. We acknowledge this deal taking, is taking longer than planned. The terms of the deal are agreed to. We did have some unforeseen logistical delays unrelated to any deal points, but we believe the signing is now imminent. Customer has stated that they desire to launch this year. Keep going over here. The health plan implemented a new IT policy. This is great transparency, which gives a lot of confidence. Uh, because they had brought in a new head of their basically chief information officer, and we got caught in the process. So we believe that we are through those processes. The terms of the agreement have not changed in months. And we do believe at this point that signing of that contract is imminent. Now, just going back to the valuations, I'm going to scroll real back over here, right? The reason this... EV to sales ratio dropped is because people think it's not coming, all right? But I believe it is coming. And when it does, for this to get back to the relative valuation compared with Teladoc, it's got to go to $20. This has been consistently trading at a certain valuation multiple compared to Teladoc, and it just lost that association here in the last 30 days because they didn't come through with that deal. As soon as it comes through, I think this is a $20 stock. So um, the last thing I want to mention is OnTrack has completely imploded down 90%. Now on track's important because Dario has poached a lot of key people from on track to help sell their plans to insurance companies. I contacted the CEO of Dario. I said, what's going on with on track? Is this an opportunity or a headwind? And he said, really neither. It's not an opportunity or a headwind. He said, what happened is on track lost a couple of their insurers. He said, I can guess maybe they lost their insurers because we poached their top sales guys over to us. But he made a point to say on track is about physical coaching with real coaches. It's not about a digital coaching, a totally different uh, sector. They're not competing with each other. So he does not see this as either an opportunity 
or a headwind for the people who may have been concerned with on track. And here are the technicals from our, my favorite technical analyst, Rexman, Rexman74 on Twitter. Uh, you can see his lines and his charts over there. Um, so that's the story. And right now, I just want to point out the stock is at 20 DMA resistance. So interesting to see what's going to happen in the coming days. And, and hopefully this deal gets announced. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I'm excited to uh, to kind of watch this one. I know you teased it last time you were on the show. Um, so it's good to get the full story and the full pitch. I, apologies that we didn't get you on sooner when the stock was at more that 1130 level before we got this little move up. But um, Ben, unfortunately, we, we do have a packed show today, but kind of along the same lines, we have a couple uh, biotech experts coming on awesome. to talk some biotech stocks. Um, so we got the tele the telehealth stock pick in DRIO. Um, and then now we're gonna move into some more biotech stocks. Sounds great. Thank All you. Right. Well, well, thank you for hopping on. We'll, we're gonna be adding this to our power hour watch list. Um, again, in the chat, let us know what you think about ticker DRIO. Uh, we we will we will get you back on to get some more updates on the stock. Sounds great. Have a great day. You too, Ben. Yep. All right, y'all. That was ticker DRIO. I'm going to pull up the chart in Benzinga Pro. As Ben mentioned, uh, the stock has been moving up the past few days. Um, and yeah, the chart looks good. We, we can see some, uh, you know, an upward trend forming right here, at least back up to this $15 resistance level that was previously acting as a support. Um, but without further ado, we have a couple big guests joining us. We have Farm DCA. He's been on the show before uh, with his buddy Ripster. Some of you Zinger Nation fans out there might remember him. Um, and he's bringing on today a new friend, uh, Mac D. So without further ado, once I get the signal from them that they're ready, you know, maybe a little thumbs up. How's it going? Welcome to the, welcome to the Zinger Nation Power Hour. Good. How are you? It's my so, pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course, Mac. So we're transitioning from a, from a telehealth stock pick uh, to some uh, biotech ones, correct? Yes. All right. Well, whenever you guys are ready, let me know what's on your radar. Let's see what we should look at today. Yeah, if you remember, I think uh, last time uh, when I was uh, on this show with Ripster, uh, I think uh, I mentioned a few tickers at that time. The first one was PAVM, PabMed. PabMed, yep. If I recall, I think the stock was trading around, uh, I think it trading around two bucks or so. Uh, since then, uh, it... Uh, I think it has done, uh, I mean, even though the biotech environment was very bad last six to six to seven months, but if you look at the chart, this stock has done way better than any other biotech stocks. And the reason is simple. Uh, the management uh, is executing uh, well, you know, uh, their pipeline is very diverse. Uh, last time when I was here, I mentioned uh, what the company is doing, their pipeline, you know, the uh, their primary product is ESOGARD, which is basically uh, the only test uh, approved for uh, screening tool for uh, esophageal cancer. So uh, they are very close to uh, basically, you know, uh, at this moment in time, uh, they just initiated a slow launch. And that's going to take some time for the company to pick up, uh, you know, doing more tests uh, as they go from one center to another. But the big, uh, we can make a big comparison here with the uh, exact sciences. Uh, exact sciences were exactly like this years ago. If you look at their ticker uh, EXAS, the yep. stock was roughly trading around, you know, eight, nine, ten bucks. Uh, slow launch, you know, anytime, uh, especially in biotech sector, when there's a new launch, it takes time, you know, for them to go through the insurance companies, you know, and then. Uh, adoption rate is slow, but it picks up over time. Uh, so if you look at the exact sciences, look what the company has done, eight, nine bucks, uh, you know, uh, like a billion dollar uh, market cap. And then it went up to almost 20 billion plus uh, stock. I think it uh, traded around uh, 130 uh, plus at some point. That's the same thesis here with PubMed. Uh, uh, exact sciences, basically, it's, uh, you know, their test was uh, for colon cancer. In our case, for PebMed, it's a screening tool for esophageal cancer. Uh, so it's uh, in the early uh, phase right now. Uh, 
Um, there's 50 million patients uh, that had uh, risk of uh, acid reflux uh, issues at some point. But out of that 50 million uh, population, there's high risk population, uh, roughly 15 million. Uh, they are at high risk uh, for developing uh, esophageal cancer at some point if it's not screened at early point. And uh, if you look at usually, uh, you know, endoscopy uh, is the screening tool which is used uh, at the moment. But 15 million patients and only less than 10% patients actually get through that endoscopy. So there's a huge unmet need out there, you know, we need to go for like a widespread screening tool. Because unlike any other cancers, uh, let's say prostate uh, or breast cancer or any other cancer, if they are diagnosed at stage one, the prognosis rate is much better. But when it comes to esophageal cancer, even if they're diagnosed at stage uh, one, the mortality rate is much, much higher. So we need to have the screening done before stage one in those uh, uh, 15 million patients. And this uh, ESOGARD test, it's only a five minute test. It could be done in any office setting. It's not like uh, going through the endoscopy procedure, basically where you get sedated and you know, uh, basically half of your day is gone and going through the procedure. So this is just a five minute test. And um, I think the adoption rate is gonna be much, much higher over time. So this is in the early stage right now. The, the company's valuation is still at around 600 million million market cap right now yeah it's not that much Um, if you look at the overall market based on 50 million patients it's 20 billion plus market and imagine even if the company is able to achieve five percent of it that's like one point one one plus billion sales on a yearly basis so so huge market and if you look at the uh, company's pipeline, they have so many products. Uh, they're launching three products next year, commercialization basically. So the, another one is Carpex, which is a minimally uh, invasive device for carpal tunnel syndrome. Then they have another big product, uh, uh, NextFlow, which uh, FDA should give uh, their positive uh, approval next year. So. So too many things going on. I'm not gonna go actually into the individual products because there's so much information you can hardly uh, share uh, in 15, 20 minutes. But uh, my target still long-term is that this company conservative, it's still 30 plus target from here on. So uh, so this is uh, my second uh, uh, position uh, behind PDSV. So uh, I'm holding this stock from 80 cents plus, and I continue to add uh, any dips uh, in PubMed. And I believe uh, this is a long-term story. This is not like a short-term trade for me. Uh, over long uh, term, one to two years, this stock should be 30 plus. And there's and you know, too many other you know things uh, going on with PubMed as well. I, they're going to be doing a lucid IPO soon. And yeah. I think that's going to um, uh, push shares much higher over time. And I was Next. I was just going to add to that, D with that, with have med you have to think about you know where they're moving i mean this is a multi-billion dollar market Absolutely. they're in the devices space they're in diagnostics they're in digital health um and as he was mentioning you know you have to think about the major subsidiaries that are here uh you've got digital health with versus health and lucid and their ipo is about to launch so the the sky's the limit on this uh moving forward and yeah you can see it's had some nice dips on the chart um, but those buyers are there and it just rebounds and we're almost at 52 week highs right now. So it's about to take that out. And with this IPO coming up for Lucid, the sky's the limit. So we're really excited about the potential here with, with this one moving forward. Yeah. It looks, like a, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it looks like the, the high right now is about uh, 780 and we're at 730 right now. So definitely approaching that high. It'll be interesting to see if we, hit some form of resistance up there if it just breaks through that previous high yes i mean all the things that's uh, going on and uh, this is an excellent team management is uh, super uh, another plus point is uh, former ceo of exact sciences joined pebmed so that's a huge plus for pebmed because he has all the expertise he can use because he was the one basically you know his uh, team 
launched uh, their product for uh, uh, colon cancer. So, so his expertise, I think, will be a big plus for PubMed. Got it. Um, so we got that new stock pick. That's ticker PAVM. Um, I'm going to have that scrolling across the bottom of the screen. There it is. Um, let's see, MACD, you got, you got anything you want to look at? Well, you know what? Let's jump on what uh, PharmaD was going to talk about earlier. It's actually, we've rotated back and forth as our top two positions between uh, PavMed and PDSB. So let's actually bring that up on the screen. Um, I, it's in the process too. It's it's screaming through 52-week highs. It's just been on a, a liftoff here. And, and we have to think about what companies bring to the table when you have conviction and you're doing some due diligence. Uh, it's 394 million market cap. So we have to look at their pipeline in, in oncology. I mean, they have three phase two oncology clinical trials in progress, multi-term or near-term readouts. Um, and you have to think of partnerships. That's a big, big uh, plus in, in the world of biotech. Uh, they're with Merck. Um, they're with uh, MD and Anderson Cancer Center and National Cancer Institute uh, when it comes to some of their pipelines. So another one that is it's on the verge um you know it do you want to jump in on this real quick here pharma d i mean they have it's it's one of those companies where you can't ignore it um and as you can see it's been hovering here it, it jumped up on on the potential of uh, coming out with covid um as a variant and moving forward with some of the stuff they're doing behind the scenes but you really have to look at the oncology and the infectious disease route uh and you know, it's, it's just an opportunity when it does present dips. And that's one of the things we're good on. You have to swallow up those those shares because it's not going to stay down here for long. So real quick, what what I mean, for for the average trader that's trading biotech stocks that might not know a lot about the science um, behind the companies or about the medical field in general. How do you guys locate these, uh, you know, the different stocks that you think, OK, this one could have serious potential to, like you said, put a product out there um, and get the company to a billion plus dollar market cap versus a lot of these other biotechs that may be stuck in the in the pipeline process forever and never really get a product or a drug or a device to the market. And that's a great question. So, I mean, there's a a, a myriad of, of things that we're looking at when we're looking at a stock on the back end. Obviously, we're looking at institutions and some of the top institutions that exist where they're buying up shares. And then based off that, then you do a due diligence. You look at what the company has for a pipeline. You have to look at what it's doing um, on the bottom end for the market cap, cash, uh, what type of management they have, where they've been, where they've come from, and just see uh, what exactly it has to offer. I mean, you can go to any of uh, biotechs, just like with most companies, you can go to their presentation for the investor side, and do your due diligence and look up what it has and, and where it's going. And you just look at, you know, some of the data and the efficiency behind the data, depending on uh, what sector they're in when it comes to the biotech. Uh, it, it, it is a myriad of different things, but you just have to focus on what it is that they have at hand, conviction, and then reach out to management and see what kind of management they are. Have conversations with them, make sure they're trustworthy. Um, that they're communicating with you on a consistent basis if you've, you know, put a lot of your investment into them. Um, and then you just let it work out and, and, and just keep digging with it. Um, for example, and we won't, I won't bring it up on the, on the slide here, but um, X-Air is another one for that. You know, I've been in that for two and a half years. And you just have to have conviction to stick with your guns based off what you're seeing the insiders are doing within the company and, and what the pipeline is. So, Pharma D, go ahead, take it away. Yes, and uh, uh, back to your question, I think in biotechs, it's not easy. Uh, uh, yes, con conviction, but then, uh, you know, you look at the data also. Uh, so PDSV, like we were buying uh, shares around $2, uh, $3 range, and then uh, we looked at the previous data as well. You look at the preclinical, then phase one data, and then see how the trend is shifting. But then uh, PDSV, they... Uh, uh, presented data at ASCO uh, um, in June 2021, and the data was very good. You know, um, we are looking at a population uh, where basically, uh, you know, the three to four months survival uh, with the standard of care. And then uh, this data uh, was way better than uh, as compared to the uh, standard of care therapy. So, 
So once you see the data, then uh, then that's where we buy more shares on any significant dips because um, in biotechs, uh, everything is speculative until you see the data. So uh, um, like on Twitter, uh, we continue to uh, focus on, you know, you need to have a good, uh, you have to have, your position size has to be based on your, uh, you know, accounts and everything. And then uh, like Max said, you had plenty of information on each company. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This website, you can go through their presentation, see how their data is, their upcoming catalyst, you know, the management, how much cash they have. And then the, the number one thing I look also is their downside risk. So if I'm holding a certain stock, 100%. let's say they have uh, cash $200 million, but they're trading at 250. So then I know my downside risk is very minimal. So I try to uh, be very selective uh, holding uh, positions through their uh, binary events. And then uh, based on the data, we try to add to our existing positions. But Biotechs, you have to be very selective. Uh, it's not an easy sector, you know. Um, if you look nope. uh, last seven months, it's the most uh, depressed sector uh, uh, since uh, early earlier this year. XBI is basically stuck in a big uh, uh, in a range. It hasn't done anything. Most biotechs they're down 30, 40 percent. So my uh, strategy is simple if i have conviction on certain stocks i buy the dips uh, and then i continue to add uh, based on my portfolio size and then uh, and then the next thing you can do is you can sell the rips as well but on certain stocks like pdsv this is my number one position right now in all of my accounts uh, uh, followed by pavm uh, and back to your point um, yeah, there's a lot of resources out there. Uh, and then um, going through the presentations, uh, uh, website, and all that information, basically, you know, you can uh, see risk versus reward in biotech sector. Got and, it, yeah. You know, I just wanted to say you have to have an uh, an asterisk next to biotechs. If, if you're new to this world of biotech, um, it, anything can drop it in a heartbeat. Because they are, you know, there are micro caps, low floats, uh, any news that is construed maybe negative, but could be positive, it'll drop 15% in a heartbeat before people even know what's happening behind the scenes. And you just pick up those shares and before you know it, it's back up to 15%. So that's the world we live in. On a binary, don't suggest holding through a binary unless you really think you're going to win. But that's, at that point, you might as well be in Vegas. Uh, because you'll see some of those stocks drop 60, 70, 80% on a binary event. So again, big asterisk, it's volatile. You just have to take it with a grain of salt and move on and and and, and just know what you're doing because you can lose a lot of money quickly, but you can also make money on the same end if you're doing the right investment. Yes. Yeah, that, that's how I feel as, as a trader that doesn't have an edge in the biotech space. A lot of times when I'm trying to pick some of these stocks, it feels like I'm at a casino. So I always love to hear how guys like you, um, you know, do the due diligence and find the stocks that, um, you know, you really think have potential and, and then you go big and have conviction in them. Um, and just to clarify, you know, uh, farm, farm DCA. So your, your picks in these are more long-term investments. You're not swing trading or doing any trading with these. It's more just long-term? Well, uh, if you looked at my pinned tweet, I have uh, plenty of, uh, uh, my portfolio is full of biotech stocks and techs, very diversified, uh, uh, you know, portfolio. Uh, these, a few stocks that I believe that they have huge potential based on uh, uh, what we saw in the previous data, I hold them long-term. And then it all it depends on their actual market cap, cap right now. So for PDSP, um, I think this company should be trading over one billion plus uh, valuation at this point, uh, and then the next catalyst coming up uh, in quarter four, uh, and I think that's a big catalyst uh, uh, combo data with the Merck drug. The standard of uh, care uh, overall survival rate is like twenty percent, 
I think uh, a combination uh, with PDS 101 and head and neck cancer, I think they can easily beat that number and the durability should be good. I believe this stock should be 50 plus uh, in my conservative view in the long term. So, so back to your question, it all depends on uh, the company's actual valuation. If this company is trading around 300 million, I think this is very cheap. So no point for me to uh, sell shares here. But if the stock is basically, you know, like at a good valuation, then uh, I uh, lock some profits and then I do swing trades as well around okay. my core positions, uh, which I mean, let's say I have 10,000 shares. If the stock goes up, let's say five, ten dollars, I will trim a certain position and then rotate around my core position because that's the best way to uh, to grow your portfolio than giving up gains on regular basis. Got it. Um, all right, guys. Well, thank you for hopping on the show today. We are running out of time, um, but would love to have you guys back on in the next coming weeks to get some updates on these stock picks. We went through PavMed, um, which is ticker. What was it again? P. AVM, PAVM, and then, uh, you know, PDSB, of course, PDS Biotechnology. Uh, guys, Farm DCAs and MACDs Twitters are in the description. Go give them a follow for some more, uh, you know, information and stock picks in the biotech space. Thank you guys for hopping on the Power Hour today. Thank you very much. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, everyone. You do the same, Mac. All right, y'all. Now, coming up, we have a big company interview. We have the Chegg CFO, Andy. Uh, Andy joining us. I'm going to go ahead and bring my buddy Spencer on. Oh, am I live? Am I on? You are live. Welcome to the Zinger Nation Power Hour on a Friday. It's a Friday, guys. We made it almost. We've made it almost. We've got about three more hours, three hours and 22 minutes left in the trading day. Spencer, before we get to check, what have you been watching today? Oh, man. Well, I'm watching the fact that we're just in blast off mode. Thank you, Jerome Powell. Where's my soundboard? Is has it- he has he already spoken, Spencer? Is, it, is my soundboard plugged in? I think it is. Pumping Powell, baby. There we go. Pumping Powell. That's it. That's what I'm watching. Yeah, he's done, man. It's over. Oh man, I'm. Hey, Spencer, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. All right, let's pivot from biotech to <laughs> education. That's a smooth transition. Let me start with this question I have for you, Andy. Um, we're obviously in back to school season. Just about yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, I I'm wondering, uh, and I and I definitely asked you this last time we spoke about a year ago, but I'm wondering how. Uh, the transition from uh, or transition back to school, but also to remote versus in person versus hybrid, how all of that affects your business? Well, interestingly enough, it hasn't had a, a, a massive impact. So regardless of where students are learning, whether or not it's on campus or off campus, they still need help, right? I mean, if you think about what we do, we help kids get unstuck uh, when they're stuck. Uh, in their education process. So, uh, you know, so whether on campus or off campus hasn't had a, 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 a massive impact on our business. Um, and as you know, I mean, I think it's fairly common that we're, we're looking at a, a school year this fall versus last fall that's going to be very different. There's going to be much more on campus learning yep. um, than uh, remote learning. Um, uh, but what has really changed that what what the pandemic, at least as, as we went through last year, that's really changed is just what we believe has accelerated the trend towards what I'll call online education. Um, and all of our services are online. Um, and so when we when we look at students that we serve and we have a we have a nonprofit called Chegg.org, which is a research arm for us. Uh, you know, basically two thirds of those students would, would prefer a choice of having online learning, um, uh, particularly if it reduces tuition costs. So, so the net net is, I think it's accelerated that trend. Uh, I think maybe the the institution, the professors, and maybe not where the students are at this point as far as that trend. But uh, there's, there's there's no doubt that um, that we've seen an accelerated trend towards online learning. Let's back it up for a second. A couple of weeks ago, uh, you guys dropped your earnings report for the for for Q two, and in the midst of all of that, you also raised your guidance, your sales guidance for the year, and your 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 EBITDA guidance. So, what yep. went into those raises? Yeah, so you know one one of the things uh, the beauty of our business model is it's primarily subscription. 
right? And if you think about a subscription model, any subscription model, whether it's in, you know, whether it's in education or whether it's, it's in, in entertainment like a Netflix or a Disney, is there's a lot of predictability about subscriptions because much of your, uh, re much of your revenue comes from renewals. And so as we, as we looked out towards the second half of this year, um, and given the, tr the trends that we had seen, the acquisitions we'd seen in the first half, we, it gave us the confidence to raise, raise our guidance, as you, as you said, both on the top line uh, and on the bottom line uh, quite significantly. So we, we, have that, we have that type of visibility that a lot of other businesses may not have. Got it, got it. And so uh, also, you know, I was going through the presentation, I was going through the report, and I, I, I guess there were some concerns going in about the services growth. You know, uh, you're coming off of this environment that had basically been a massive tailwind for, for, for your company, right? You guys are in kind of the same boat as, as a lot of these um, other technology platforms, stay-at-home plays, whatever you want to call them. And uh, as we transition, as we head back into, you know, a more normal life, right? A more, maybe not entirely normal, but certainly more normal than, than, than last year. I guess there are was, there was some concerns about, about how that would affect you guys. But you, you guys are saying, no, the, the growth is still there is what you're saying. Yeah, and, and, and much of the growth we saw last year was actually what we were doing, right? Yeah. So there was a couple of... A couple of core events that happened last year that just so happened to to you know coincide with uh, with the pandemic one was we we implemented some uh, some technologies around account sharing we'd had account sharing issues for for many many yeah, years I'm, I'm glad you i'm gonna interrupt you because i'm glad you mentioned that because i was gonna ask you about that because that's the thing that everyone always says about check is it's the biggest problem for as a business is account sharing so what what do you Yeah, is we, we implemented two technologies last year, one in the one in early in the fall and one late in the fall. One was around device management, so we limit the number of devices that students can access a subscription on and the second one was MFA technology, um, multi-factor authentication. Um, and so those so that certainly drove um, you know some of our subscriber growth. And and the second part of this and by the by the way, I'll, a little bit of a funny story on that I I happened to be playing golf last early last Friday morning, and a, a student joined us, and he was a little ticked off that we'd done a lot of that technology because he couldn't have his subscription for free; he had to pay for it. But nonetheless, the second part of that was was really our entrance into the international markets, uh, and so we saw a, a significant acceleration internationally. Um, so those were the, really the two events, along with an acquisition we made. So, so, so as we look towards the future, we we see ourselves growing at or even higher than what we saw pre-COVID, right in 2019. So when you look at our growth rates in 2019 and look at what we're projecting today, they're actually they're actually slightly better. Um, so we're, we're you know we're seeing we're seeing really nice uh, growth trends um, both here in the U.S. And, and certainly internationally. Well, since you mentioned international, Andy, I gotta ask you about the for-profit education industry in China specifically. They've sort of Ooh. taken an axe to it, right? Uh, the Chinese government has um, is sort of basically saying that these these businesses are are, are really working up shut this industry down at least in terms of uh you know publicly traded companies i'm wondering if 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 that affects you guys at all well intro yeah it's it's been pretty brutal if you've been investing in uh, in chinese tech companies the towels of the world and some of the other folks but to, to answer your question succinctly the answer is no uh we we actually don't we don't play in the Chinese market. We have no intent at this point in playing in the Chinese market. I think you know, if you look at any U.S. company that plays in the, uh, the in the Chinese market, you really need to go in there with a partner. Uh, and so we're when we think about international, we're focused pretty much on every other part of the world except the Chinese market, um, and, and focused really around eight to ten really large uh, you know countries where there's a lot of English learners. Um, you know, folks like, you know, things like Turkey, India, Saudi Arabia, things like that. So in that, in that regard, where, what then are your, because you guys paint, you guys say your international growth is strong, but can you maybe get a little bit more granular there as far as. Yeah. So, so one of the things we said at the earlier in the year, and it surprised a lot of people, people thought we were getting a little ahead of our skis. We didn't, uh, is that we said uh, uh, we'd have a million subscribers outside the U.S. this year. Uh, we, 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 we said that again, we actually believe we'll have more than a million subscribers outside the US. And if you just go back a couple of years ago, it was, it was as close to zero as you can get. Um, so, so we're seeing 
really great expansion outside the US. And the beauty of our model, and I think this is one of the areas where we're, you know, people don't really understand, uh, because you, you see, if you take a look at, you know, we're high growth and high leverage, and a lot of the stuff we do in the US is leverageable outside the US. So for example, you know, we've got over 60 million pieces of content, and whether or not you're doing physics in the US or physics in Turkey, it's the same. It's the same, right? Uh, and so we, we, we were able to leverage a core of our content um, uh, outside the U.S., which gives us leverage. And then second part is we continue to, to, to acquire students, whether it's inside the U.S. or outside the U.S., primarily through unpaid sources. So it, it gives us great leverage in the overall uh, business model. What kind of unpaid sources? Oh, a lot of, so a lot of things. First thing is, if you take a look at the U.S., you know, we've almost become a verb. We have become a verb, right? I mean, you, you see students in the U.S. saying, well, I checked it. So people go directly to check.com. Uh, we have, you know, great SEO. Um, and so those are the, those are, those are the primary uh, unpaid sources. I mean, 80, over 85% of our, our, our subscribers come on to Chegg or any of our sites through those unpaid sources. So, it's, so we spend very little, relatively speaking, on, on unpaid marketing. Here's a good question from the chat. Easy Mike, um, this hadn't occurred to me. Would Chegg ever consider a Duolingo type program? Uh, well, I mean, there's, I mean, we're a learning company, right? So if you think about us as a learning company, there's, there's many avenues that we could go. I mean, we've, we've already gone beyond academic learning, for example, into skills-based learning. Uh, it's still relatively small, uh, to, uh, uh, compared to our, our academic side of our business. But yeah, if, if it's, if it's in the learning community, those are things that we, we continue to look at as potential future opportunities, uh, for Chegg. Um, and then just as we wrap up here, Andy, um, in terms of the business, do, do you guys see, do you guys observe seasonality as it relates to the school? Obviously you do. You see seasonality as it relates to the school system. But I like the reason I asked that question is because you just pull up your uh, your stock price here. And, it, you know, I, I don't see a tremendously obvious pattern as it relates to, to seasonality. So obviously the street is, is you know, has is wised up to that, but can you just speak a little bit to the seasonality effects that you see, especially this time of year? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we are a seasonal business. You know, if you think about Chegg, you've got to think about a school year. So, I mean, the vast majority of our business occurs from basically the last, you know, kind of the latter part of August through the middle of May, because summer school is relatively light. Right. Um, uh, and if you just take a look at seasonality on a, on a truly quarterly basis, the, the, the number of weeks that students are in school, which is, means when we get paid for our subscriptions, is usually in Q4. And if you take a look at our financial statements, you see our, our the, the, you know, the largest revenue and EBITDA contribution is in Q4. Uh, and once again, that's a, that's a function of, of school years, the semesters, and so forth. Uh, and then actually, the last one before I let you go, uh, can you give us an update on, on university? You announced it, uh, I guess, back in June. Yeah, so university uh, is 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 something that we introduced just a few weeks ago. Uh, it's what it allow it's, it what it allows is a new content type to be uploaded onto our platform, and it's and it's it's content that's developed by professors. Um, and so it, we've opened up the portal a few weeks ago, or maybe six weeks ago, <clears throat> where professors can uh, can sign up, uh, they can upload their content and get paid for it. Right. So we have a rate card uh, that professors get paid and it can be any types, multiple types of content, whether it be class notes, practice tests, um, uh, study guides and things like that. Um, you know, we talked about this on the earnings conference call just in a few weeks, we had already paid out $700,000 to professors. Um, and what we found is that professors, you know, want to be able to use uh, a site like Check to be able to, to, to upload their information and get paid for it. And we, and conversely, we, uh, students want that type of, inf uh, that type of content. Now, just to be clear, <clears throat> the, the, the student, the, the, the content won't, uh, uh, be viewed by the students probably until, you know, the spring of next year, we want to make sure we have a, a critical mass of content, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been very successful, uh, in, in, in the early days. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of, there's a movement right now to empower individuals to 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 profit to profit off of their own knowledge whether it's platforms like substack or platforms like this so commendable for sure andy brown is the cfo of chegg ticker is on the screen chgg andy always a pleasure man have a good one awesome thank you spencer all right uh it is 12 51 now actually so it, that means it's time for Catherine ross and we'll do a quick crypto update ab you still work here 
Yeah, I don't know what happened with my, you know, internet, if you want to call it that in here, that was causing me to bug out, but uh, I think I'm here now. Okay, should we bring on Catherine? We should. All right, let's get her on here. And then I, uh, Ka- oh, there she is. Catherine, explain that on this Whoa, screen. that's a lot of green. Explain yeah. that. <laughs> well, that's very difficult to explain because hello crypto markets right uh but i think what we're seeing right now is just a fluctuating up and down up and down because this is what we saw this week and over the weekend and we're gonna see them going up and down up and down again seriously uh i do have i do have actually an explanation for bitcoin in a way i'm not saying that is that it is directly uh correlated with the price that we're seeing right now but Yesterday, we published an, uh, a news article, right, uh, about the third person ever to own Bitcoin saying that he still believes that we're going to see 100K this year. So it might look like, you know, people are just buying it because if it's going to be 100K, you might want to, you know, go in today. 100K. Uh, so he's saying it's going to double in, in four in three months? It's his theory, right? It's a, it's a hypothetical, but right. yeah. So, uh, do you guys know who is the third person ever to own Bitcoin? The third person ever to own Bitcoin? Yeah. I have no idea. Enlighten me. Okay. So, this is a person that, you know, obviously was one of the first people to own Bitcoin and one of the first people ever received an email from the one and only Satoshi Nakamoto, which is crazy, right? So yeah, he's been here uh, from the start. So this is Adam Back, CEO of Black uh, Blockstream. He's very highly respected uh, in, in the industry, right? And everybody seems to listen. And after I published this, I received um, an, a reply from Dmitry Buterin. It's a father of uh, Vitalik Buterin, the co-founder of Ethereum. And he said that Adam is actually pretty on point when it comes to Ethereum predictions, price predictions. So this Wait, is something... I'm trying to think. Uh, his name is Adam uh, Back, Back, right? Is, is this the guy... Hold on. I'm, I, I may be well off here. Is this the guy that that, that people think is, is, is Satoshi? Oh, there are a lot of theories, right? And there is also almost, uh, I think there are a lot, you know, again, a lot of theories on who it actually is. There is Craig Wright who claims that he is, but no one believes him. Uh, I mean, some people believe him. And then there is a uh, uh, Sergey, uh, I'm not sure about his uh, last name, I forgot, the Chainlink uh, founder and CEO. Like a lot of people are actually, um, you know, sure that he is the one. So, you know, there are a lot of theories. None of them, uh, you know, is confirmed because no one knows for sure who Satoshi Nakamoto is. Uh, if, if it's a group of people, if it's just one person, no one knows for sure. I'd love to quote, actually, Adam. He said that uh, why he believes we're going to see 100K is because he compared, uh, you know, Bitcoin to physical gold because in many ways, Bitcoin is a better physical gold. Okay. Yeah, this is the guy. I uh, this is the Adam, this is the guy that I was thinking of. Uh, Adam Adam Back. Is like him uh, on Twitter? The, is that what you did? Well, the, the guy who like people suspect is like probably Satoshi. Again, a lot of theories. Three of the people that I've just mentioned are also on the list. But yeah, yeah fair enough. Um, fair enough. Okay. So okay. So uh, a, an owner of Bitcoin is bullish Bitcoin. What else we got? We got more uh, bullish news on Cardano. We have been talking a lot, a lot about Cardano. So, uh, a Dogecoin millionaire, also known as uh, Glaber Contest, uh, okay, Dogecoin millionaire. Yeah, his, uh, yeah, his uh, nickname or his uh, Twitter handle is Slum Doge Millionaire. Um, so. <laughs> He is going all in on Cardano. As we talked last time, Cardano hit all-time high, right? And is currently trading at, not sure, let me just double check. Cardano, uh, 2,800, give or take? Well, yeah, okay. Sorry, what, what did I say? What did I say? 2,800. I can't read. The $2.80. $2.80. Yes, that that's what it is. It, it is up by twelve percent, almost thirteen percent over the past uh, twenty four hours. So this this person uh, who made a lot of money on Dogecoin said, you know, obviously Dogecoin millionaire. He said that uh, he's going to go all in Cardano, uh, and he still believes that it's pretty early, and he's going to wait for the dip 
to spend a lot of money on it. I'm not sure what kind of dip he's talking about because $3 is pretty low. You know, it's pretty cheap at this point. So I can, you know, I can go in, go all in and, you know, not, I'm not going to say that because it feels like this is the disclaimer time. Uh, but yeah, it's not investment advice. And I'm going to talk about one more coin. It is our weave. Uh, obviously. Our weave. Yeah, it is our uh, weave. What, what, what's the, it's the ticker here. I have it up here. Thanks to you. So let's get this up. You're welcome. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's actually on all-time high, and the reason I'm talking about it today is because it is the top performer performer over the past 24 hours. Right? It gained 52 uh, percent, uh, and it's what we're looking at here is 35 dollars or almost 40 dollars, oh, 36. What the hell is wrong with me on Friday? Yeah, 36 dollars. Uh, again, all-time high that we've seen today. I have checked, and I haven't found any use except a lot of events. Uh, at uh, our Weave community uh, that, you know, they're just trying to educate people, but I haven't found any major announcement and I haven't found the reason behind uh, such a great interest uh, in this particular coin. So just to give you a bit of a perspective, our Weave is a decentralized storage network that seeks to offer a platform for the indefinite storage of data. Uh, it describes itself as a collectively owned hard drive that never forgets. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway that I learned from this segment, Catherine, is is our weave is whatever. It sounds cool, but there are Dogecoin millionaires out there that never even occurred to me. That I, I guess seems, no, seems obvious, right? The people that bought yeah. Doge at, at point zero 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 one mm -hmm. obviously are are loaded. But man, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't get over that headline. <laughs> well, Cardano, it feels like uh, Cardano is uh, on everybody's least uh, list these days. I I'd love to just give you one more headline that is very important and very entertaining. So, a, a, a 12 years old coder is actually has actually earned almost 400k selling NFTs. This headline makes me look, makes me feel that I'm first of all old. Second of all, I'm definitely doing something wrong with my life. Yes, yes, <laughs> we're, we're all failing at life because we're not this 12 year old. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So at five years old, he learned code because his father is a web program programmer. He's based in London. At five years old, right? He's based in London and he codes a lot. Uh, and um, yeah, so right now he's uh, 12 years old and he heard about NFTs. So he deci uh, decided to code NFTs in his first collection ever. I do have a link if you want to if you want to show the whales NFT collection that he, yeah, I, I, I have it up here. Let's, let's take a look. See what, what, what I saw. What, I saw that on Twitter too, Catherine, people were, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. So, so he designs these or he's, he runs the code behind them. I was a little confused oh. on that both actually. Um, so first of all, he had his first collection in June. It didn't, you know, it didn't sell well. I think he didn't earn anything about that, but he said that it was just a learning experience. And right now, this is inspired by um, Minecraft kind of uh, whales and crypto punks as well. So he called it weird whales. And this was sold in nine hours, right? So he earned 350 uh, K and I think uh, around 30 Ethereum as well on royalties and reselling market. So yeah, uh, weird whales, <laughs> weird times. Right. That's, right. Yeah. All right. Catherine Ross, everyone, has been Zinga's crypto editor, and she joins yeah. us to uh, make me feel horrible about my life. <laughs> Catherine, <laughs> thanks a lot. I feel great about myself and all, all I've accomplished in life, and I hope you all I'm do sorry. too. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good weekend, Catherine. All right, AB, we got to hop, man. We got we got to go. It's yeah, we got get technical starting up right now. Um, I guess one of us should stay. One of us should hop. You, I'll wrap it up here. You go make sure Neil is on time for once. All right. I'll see you later, Spence. All right, he just left. That's fine. All right, Get Technical is supposed to be starting right now. After that, Moon or Bust extended edition today. We're going to go from 2 to like 3.30, talking altcoins, talking DeFi, uh, talking Solana, talking Doge, an hour and a half of crypto conversation. If that's your bag.
2 o'clock Eastern time today. Um, and no at to close today, so this will be the last time I see you all for the rest of the day. So everyone have a good weekend. Have a great weekend. If anyone's going to be – I may be in Columbus. If anyone's in Columbus, hit me up on Twitter. Maybe we can meet up. Maybe. I don't know if I'll be in. I'm not sure yet. But, uh, yeah, drop me a like. Smash the like button. Everyone, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Thanks to all of our guests today. Thanks to all of you for watching. I'm wrapping it up. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.